I cherish the experience that I had on board the space station. We've built a community on this planet that humanity's future will certainly lean on with this work that we've done on the space station and the continuous human presence we've had. I'm grateful to have seen where we started and where we are today because it gives me such hope going forward, especially as we look to the moon and Mars and beyond and knowing that there's no way we're going to get there without our partnerships. Welcome to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast that taps into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. On November 2nd, 2000, an American astronaut and two Russian cosmonauts arrived at the International Space Station, marking the start of continuous human presence in space. Now, almost 20 years later, 240 people from 19 countries have visited the space station. The unique microgravity laboratory has hosted more than 2,800 research investigations from scientists in over 100 nations. Today on the podcast, we begin a two-part series on ISS-20. Our guest is astronaut Tracy Caldwell-Dyson, who lived and worked aboard the ISS for 174 days in 2010 as a flight engineer for Expeditions 23 and 24. She performed three successful contingency spacewalks, logging over 22 hours of spacewalk time. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Dina, it's my my pleasure. Thanks for having me. As we approach this celebration of 20 years of human presence on the International Space Station, what stand out to you as the most remarkable achievements along the way? You know, I think it's, uh, you can't just wrap it up into several different achievements. I look at it uh, as a whole, from assembling a complex research facility entirely, in the vacuum of space, side by side with 11 international partner nations, and to utilization of that complex research facility, uh, to the groundbreaking research that's being done uh, with uh, not only our international partners, but our commercial partners, our partners from academia and industry, to what we're doing with the space station to enable exploration beyond low Earth orbit. Every hour of that space station from the time we designed it to when we built it to when we started utilizing it to, to today is full of achievements that have been remarkable in that direction going forward. Do you think there's a general understanding of what an incredible feat it is to have humans living and working in space continuously for 20 years? I certainly think the space exploration community has a grasp of it, but I'm not so sure that the public at large really does. And I think that uh, today with uh, the new surgence of, of um, commercial companies and the space program getting more talked about in the public, I think that folks are starting to grasp it, but I, I don't know that, that it, they're there quite yet. When you think about how humanity benefits from the International Space Station, do you have like a a top five or a top ten list? I don't know if I have uh, discrete points on a list, but I think humanity, of course, benefits from uh, the boldness of what we're doing with the International Space Station. And I think that boldness 
really inspires. And it's revitalized an interest, I think, in science and technology uh, because of you know, the new ways that we have to approach problems when you have to overcome all the challenges of living and working, not to mention getting to space. And I also think that through the global partnerships that we have, uh, that like the view from ISS, the borders just diminish to the point that you're no longer noticing them for the goal that you're all together working toward. And that all of humanity benefits from today and as we go forward. Are there any specifics as far as the way that humanity benefits that especially resonate with you? Well, I think that it's been NASA's mission from day one to make accessible to the public everything that we do, all of the resources that is within our, our power to give to the public. It's out there. It's, it's at their fingertips literally today with, with how uh, the internet has opened up avenues uh, for accessibility. And so humanity has benefited from the information just being provided to them, the insight, the inspiration, not to mention the tangibles like what we have to develop, uh, not only in, in technology, but in operations to, to do the work we do, to go beyond uh, what we're doing today, it has direct impact on uh, the life that everybody leads every day from medical advances to just their cell phone technology, the fact that we have satellites and orbit are all because we tried to get to space. And also the, the non-tangible things of trying to work together and improve our communications um, when you can't see people uh, that you're that you're working with. I think have all, especially in in uh, this time that we're in, dealing with COVID and uh, all the challenges that that presented. I think there's a lot to be learned from how we have to overcome the challenges of of our uh, um, project of getting to space and uh, applying that to the challenges that we have here on Earth. From your perspective as a chemist, what are some of the most exciting ISS experiments and research findings? I think just even looking back at the time I was uh, living on board and working, I think the things that teach us something, of obviously, that we don't know and help us get to where we want to be. So one of my favorite ones um, as both a uh, explorer and a chemist was the capillary flow experiments. These were designed to uh, study the way liquids move in space by simply changing the shape of the container and the dimensions of the channels in which fluid traveled. And um, it has its um, applications in spaceflight and spacecraft design. Uh, it allows you to uh, transport liquids without pumps and moving parts. It reduces cost and weight and complexity in a system, but uh, there's terrestrial aspects as well. Tree roots use capillary systems. Um, medical diagnostic devices use capillary systems. And so I've found um, that one to be exciting for not only the fundamental uh, aspects of what we were learning, but also because it had broad reaching applicability to life here on earth, as well as helping us get beyond low earth orbit. What are some of your favorite memories of your ISS experiences? 
Oh, certainly some of the extraordinary things like spacewalks. Um, you know, those are never guaranteed. And uh, I was so blessed to have that opportunity that just the fact I got to do it alone was one of my uh, favorite moments. Uh, although um, <laughs> the reason I got to go outside was because something broke and we weren't expecting it and it was a bit of a critical component. So um, all of that drama aside, that was one of my favorite memories. Not only, uh, the, you know, the moments, uh, the moment I realized I got to do them, but just being outside in that environment. I had trained for so long to uh, to do one of those, and I got to do three of them. And it was exciting um, because uh, this was all very unexpected. It was a contingency spacewalk, and it was time critical, and it was uh, amazing to be at the very tip of the spear um, of something that so many people, not just from uh, you know Houston, but all around the world, who were cooperating to uh, help bring about a successful resolution to this. It was so memorable to be a part of that um, that it's one of the highlights of my time on on the space station. And then there's little moments like uh, when I was. Uh, you know, zooming around inside, uh, going from the lab to node three, and I winged around a corner, I grabbed a handrail that I grabbed all the time in node one to give myself some, you know, force getting around the corner. Uh, and in that instant, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this is just like the mock-up. And I, and I thought it was so funny because uh, it's a testament to how high fidelity uh, our mock-ups are that you could be in space in the actual vehicle and think you're back home in the training uh, facility. <laughs> so it was a moment where I paused and I was like, I'm so grateful, not only for my training, but the people who trained me. And uh, with that, looking out the window and the moments I could at the space station itself. And, you know, you, you're, when you're nestled in that cupola, which of course is uh, another favorite memory of mine, but when you're nestled there and you, in a 90 minute period, as you go from uh, sunset to, to sunset, you, you're, you're mesmerized by the, the fantastic view you have, the extraordinary view you have of, of the earth and the, and uh, the stars and the moon, but then your gaze lands on the space station itself. And you can't help to be captivated by that alone. For, for everything it is, not just the, the metal um, and the cables and, and the gears and everything that's making it run. But when you realize the people and the hands that touched it, from those who designed it, those who built it, to those who are sitting in mission control right now, commanding to it. It, um, my goodness, it's, um, that, was, that, that was an ongoing memory of mine by living up there. Are there other stories from your time on Space Station that you can't wait to share with future generations? I think uh, certainly folks want to hear about um, what it's like to to live in microgravity and what's it like to float and and all of that and watching the view. And I would definitely, I mean, I, I never get tired of really sharing that. Um, I think that... Um, what I can't wait for is to to share the realities of it um, with future generations, especially those who are 
hoping to explore themselves, those that will actually themselves be in that situation to, uh, I guess, fortify them, future generations and future generations of explorers, to fortify them with the realities, the goods and the bads, the, the set them up to um, accept the challenges of the life it takes to, um, to succeed under those conditions. It's uh, a long list of things, I think, but I, uh, I would look forward to sharing that. How would you describe a typical day on ISS? Oh, a typical day. Um, there's hardly one of those on board, but I would say when you're not doing one of those extraordinary, uh, you know, very critical events that involve uh, opening a hatch to the vacuum of space or grappling a space vehicle that's hovering uh, 30 meters in front or anything like that. Um, your day is pretty typical like it is here. If uh, all you did was um, fix things and set things up, uh, you're, you wake up, you, you get dressed and eat your breakfast just like you do at home. You have a meeting in the start of your day with everybody uh, around the world. <laughs> um, and then cameras come on and you get to work. You're, you're fixing things, you're maintaining things, you're setting things up, uh, uh, moving things around. Uh, sometimes you are the operator of an experiment. Sometimes you're the subject of an experiment. And then there is every day uh, a chance for you to exercise, which even if um, you're one of those who don't think um, – if, if exercise isn't your thing, you, f you find that once you live on board, that that is uh, something you definitely look forward to. It's a little bit of me time. And um, also, uh, you know how vital it is for your health as you uh, make your way back to Earth. Uh, but uh, you get a midday meal. And uh, usually you're, you're eating that alone uh, for all the coming and going that is the rest of your crewmates on board. Uh, but then you finish out your day, you have another conference at the end of the day with everybody around the world. And then you get into a period of time that we call pre-sleep. And that is uh, you getting, you know, unwinding, getting ready for bed, having dinner. And that's a time when you get to join all of your crewmates uh, at the center of the space station for a meal. And you just kind of get to decompress like a family would uh, talk about the day and, uh, try to be lighthearted um, before you got to go to bed and start it all over again. So that's, that's kind of a typical day. Thank you for walking us through that. Back on Earth, what do you miss most about living and working in space? Oh, that's kind of a hard one. Uh, you think it's an easy one to answer, but it's, it's uh, for me, not. I think it's the challenges of it all, the physical the mental, the emotional is unlike anything here, even, you know, even on your hardest day, uh, because, you know, you've lived in gravity your whole life and you kind of know how it all works. And so you can plan accordingly. Um, but in space, I found even having been there for a while on my increment, there's still things you're having to learn and overcome, uh, for the sheer community of it. And so, um, even though there's challenges up there, I look forward to um, and I miss having to um, stretch my mind and, uh, you know, give in a little and, and really uh, test my character by um, 
all the challenges that you face by being in that environment. And then there's also the part where you're contributing to the understanding that we all have of the environment and how to live and work in it. And I found that coming back from my missions and um, not just going through the, the, the post-flight debrief process, but just all of the time spent after that, uh, where you are contributing to uh, the understanding everybody has of that, of the microgravity environment, of the operational tempo, and, and in light of uh, what we're trying to do with uh, our other programs, Artemis uh, being the, the one that comes to mind as we go beyond low Earth orbit to the moon, uh, being able to apply what I learned, um, just being immersed in that environment has been very rewarding. And I look forward to having that experience. And uh, I cherish the experience that I had on board the space station. Tracy, what are your thoughts on how the ISS program and the level of international and commercial cooperation have evolved over the years? Oh, I tell you, I would have never seen it coming. Um, if you had asked me when I first got here um, in 1998 and started uh, you know, working on the space station program, I would have never predicted uh, when I started here where we are today with cooperation. And um, I would have missed the mark. <laughs> uh, but I have been, um, I've been delighted to see how far we've come uh, in terms of cooperation, our communication, and I'll even go deeper and say what it's done to our character. Uh, just given our um, relationship with our Russian partners, for instance, uh, you know, I don't think two programs could have been more different than uh, NASA and um, Rosavius Cosmos. And the way, just just the way we approached everything, uh, seemed to be so different. In the beginning, you know, there's there seems to be a bit of a clash. And, um, you know, you just, you, you wonder when the progress is actually going to happen because there's all this stuff you're having to work through, uh, communication barriers, cultural barriers, uh, just, um, uh, approaches that are completely different than to today, how things are just, it just seems like it's on rails. It's smooth. Uh, we know how to, to partner. Uh, we know how to communicate. We know how to, how to compromise. We know how to, value what the other is saying and to expand our, our knowledge base to include, to, to really be, um, take the risk of saying, you know, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to value what you have to say and, and let my agenda go for a moment. And it's amazing uh, what we can learn uh, when we let go of our own agenda. And the fact that we actually have prioritized that and made the, the effort to do that and not just let you know, our urgency to get into space and get it done and override the fact that this partnership is super important. And I'm just, um, I'm grateful to have seen where we started and where we are today because it gives me such hope going forward, especially as we look to the moon and Mars and beyond and knowing that there's no way we're going to get there without our partnerships. I think that um, the international and commercial cooperation. I didn't mention that, but that is another level of, of complexity that um, I think without the experience we had with our international partners, we would have been sorely positioned to, um, to tackle such an endeavor as uh, partnering with commercial companies. But um, I think 
given where we are today and what the International Space Station has provided, we are poised to go forward beyond where we are today and doing it as a planet and not uh, just individual nations or agencies. As we look toward the future, how does space station research and lessons learned influence future moon and Mars exploration? Well, it seems like too numerous to count, but um, just the uh, environment alone, micro, you know, having to overcome microgravity, the vacuum of space, the, you know, you know, outside the space station, you have the external environment to, to deal with. And then internally, how do you maintain a comfortable environment uh, to uh, the technology that we need uh, to get there? We, you know, the space station is a, is a, a platform to test those things out before we get too far away uh, to make it uh, beyond our means to, to test these things. Right down to operations, you know, like how, how best to set up our days as we're getting to these new destinations, the moon and Mars. And, and you know, we got, you know, basically a 24-hour cycle on our bodies and, and how are we going to um, get the things we need done in that amount of time, knowing that uh, we're, we're only human kind of thing. I think being on space station and all that we're doing to uh, not just preserve what we're doing on the space station, but with an eye on the future, it's, uh, it's no better place to, to test those things out. And then there's the community and uh, the communications that are required in order to do what we're doing. And so everything that we've had to overcome in not just you know building the space station and maintaining it, but uh, using it as a, a research platform and not just um, scientific research, but the coordination that it takes is, uh, I think, helping us learn how to be a community, uh, a space program community, and less of a, you know a, a nation by nation contributing to a program, but but more of a community and. Going forward, um, I think, again, the space station is responsible for um, giving us that foundation uh, so that we can do the great things and um, ride the rails of the experience we've had building the space station and using it. And then how does this spirit of exploration demonstrated by 20 years of continuous human presence in space contribute to humanity's future? I think... um, if you talk about the we in quotes, the, the the global we, what we've had to do in order to have continuous human presence, I mean, all that we've done to create and build and maintain, and utilize and share this space station and the experience with our public. Um, we've built a community on this planet that humanity's future will certainly lean on with this work that we've done on the space station and the continuous human presence we've had. Tracy, it's been so much fun having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, Dina, thank you. It's been my pleasure, and I, I appreciate your questions and the nostalgia and the uh, hope that it also brings me just, uh, just thinking about it. Well, I especially uh, enjoyed getting to hear you talk about character and how that fits into the space station story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm. Well, thank you. Do you have any closing thoughts? I don't know. I mean, I could I could blather on for 
<laughs> longer than your listeners probably want to hear um, about uh, the space station and all that we've done. I think when I first joined the, the astronaut program back in 98, it seemed like um, the public wasn't too interested in uh, what we were doing. In fact, we probably had more critics than we had supporters. And I think it's by the grace of God that um, our program is uh, not only here today, but that it is the pendulum has completely swung over to where NASA people are wearing NASA meatball shirts. I mean, <laughs> uh, I'm just so excited about that. Uh, and it's again, it gives me hope because uh, I think I've always, and I know I'm not alone in this, but I've always had this belief in what we're doing and um, you know, what NASA has started and invited our uh, partners to come and join in and um, to see to have over the 20 years that I've been here 20 plus and have seen the way NASA has led the team. And it's, um, it's, it's um, like servant leadership. It's leadership um, under and supporting. And I've, I've enjoyed watching how we've elevated the other partnering nations and our commercial partners to, to join on the same level and uh, go forward with us. And it's um, when I look at it today, I think that that has contributed to the popularity, if you will, of um, our space program, that it's a global space program, that the public's excited and they can actually see themselves in that environment because it won't be long before they can actually be there and they don't have to join the astronaut corps to, <laughs> to, to do it. Um, and so I just, I think my, my parting thoughts are just the, the great hope that I have and the delight that I have in seeing how we have come this far and um, having been here observing it and, and being in the, in the midst of it has been a, a real privilege, but it's also been, um, you know, enriching to me to, to uh, watch how we went from total chaos to the order that we have today. And now that we're entering another realm of chaos of, you know, doing a new program, uh, I just look forward to seeing how uh, we tackle that um, as, a, as a community, not just in the space program, but with the public and um, just as a planet uh, going forward. Uh, I don't see it as um, a small group anymore going to the moon or to Mars. I see it as a, as a planet, and I'm pretty excited about that. Many thanks to Tracy Caldwell-Dyson for joining us on the podcast. You'll find her bio, along with links to topics mentioned on the show, and a transcript of today's episode on our website at apple.nasa.gov slash podcast. In our next episode, we'll conclude this ISS 20 two-part series with a conversation with ISS Flight Director Royce Renfrew, and look forward to connecting with you then. If you haven't already, please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. As always, thanks for listening to Small Steps, Giant Leaps.